You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Are you ready for another Digital Noise episode? Are you ready for some Digital Noise? What is that supposed to sound like? I don't even know. Uh Oh, something at football. Are you ready for oh. some football? Ready for football, which is nothing like Digital Noise. Oh, I thought it was just like Digital Noise. Is it? Fuck, yeah. who are we playing it's this It's tangible, week? you're picking up DVDs, you throw them around because they're garbage, just like football. This is Chris versus Wright in the Ultimate Tonight, Nitro. this is Chris Cox and Wright Sulek talking on digital noise. Head to head. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's boxing. <laughs> <laughs> we they do that for, for, for uh, football, too. We I guess the helmets do. crash into each yeah, other. Yeah, that's stuff. Right, yeah, that's right. I guess. I know next to nothing about you know modern how, okay, sports. Okay, I... Here's a here's a little story. Football is a thing. Yeah, that's all I know. It exists. Yeah, that's all Football I know. is I, something. I feel bad. Like I other know, than us watch. I, I don't know. Like being like grown as a Texan, like you're supposed to know. No, but I, then again, like when I was growing up, like the Cowboys were good. Yeah, like that was about it. I was like cool, and then they weren't. And then I'm like, well, who gives a shit anymore? Oh, uh, see, I was lucky enough that I was of the age when the Redskins were good. Growing up in you can't in say that anymore. DC, there was a very brief period. There's like eight years where the Redskins were like one of the best teams in the whole world. Yeah. Well, I say world. Nobody gives a shit about American football, but Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, they were unbelievably kick ass. And we're like the the was it? I forget the I, I forget the name of the players, but they were like the Hogs, and everybody was like, "Whoa, they're so great!" And that's when I was getting to see sh- band, uh, getting to go see. Uh, Actually, at the stadium, getting into CM because yeah. we had a rich uncle. Because my dad chose to leave being a lawyer and become a judge because it's such an honor. Uh, and instead Boo. of like staying a lawyer, so you know, lawyer brother got super rich and yeah. had like season passes. Of course, he also didn't choose to have nine children. So you know, <laughs> that it, my- now it is nice to sit in like one of those VIP seats. Oh yeah, like it. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's so much. I will never turn down an opportunity if it's great seats. Right. To go to a sporting event, except for maybe tennis or golf. <laughs> Which I yeah. do not yeah. understand. Not like, at all. I don't really get sports in general. Why like, I used to play that? them, but like, uh, you know, I was a child, not like used to, like, just not, recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I haven't been, like, been outside in 10 years, it seems like. But, uh, but. Golf and tennis. Tennis is also, I would think, the most like just insanely difficult sport because you just have to be so quick and fast and really like, and I think really strong and like have that endurance. Golf is for dump, dumpy drunks, white people yeah. who 
Just like, let's get together and, you know, say terrible things to and each other like no one else is around. Ironically, both sports have opened up to people of different races in the last 10 or so years. Yeah. Who turned out to be still better than white people at doing those sports. Oopsie daisy. <laughs> Oopsie daisy. Here we go. Like, uh, get ready for <coughs> a wonderful cappuccino future. I'm here for it. White people's like, why can't we just have something to ourselves? <laughs> oh, you'll always have Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> he's all yours he's all your wife people Joe Rogan. <laughs> nobody's asking to share Joe Rogan <laughs> anyway sorry I we like set our politics on the table here and also our feelings about sports which once again nothing against sports just never really had any appeal to me personally That's this is it. gonna be a really interesting segue to the first movie we're talking about <laughs> I was on a I can't remember what it was I was on the review of something that was a sports movie and it was a football movie and then I'm doing it and everyone expected I'd be an idiot because I always go like I don't know anything about sports but yeah. I grew up with football like I, I didn't like was it, it particularly but no Leatherheads is a terrible movie for it's, the record it's not, it's not very good yeah. but like I, I don't I think it was the uh, uh, Oliver Stone one Oh, any given Sunday. Yeah. And then it's like, how do you know so much about football? You say you don't know anything about sports. I'm like, look, I don't I said I don't like sports. Yeah. But I grew up watching football. Right. Because you had no choice. Where I you'd go like, I don't even understand what just happened in the sense of like that was just an exhalation of breath. And then someone goes, Oh, well, let me explain to you what just happened. Yep. So this is what a first down is. I'm like, Ugh. Uh, you know, weirdly, we have no sports movies on the show this week. Oh, I thought Demons 2... No, uh, doesn't count. Motorcycle, uh, is that, like, count? you thought it was, like, motorcycle sports? Yeah, maybe? yeah, I did, yeah. No, no, not <laughs> as much. No. I don't even know how we got started with sports. We we had a big pre-gaming of sitting and talking about... Oh, because we were doing the song. Yeah. Digital, we, okay. We were talking about the music of uh, Matt Berry for an hour before this, yeah. because my wife came in, and she loves that, and Matt, and... Right over here, thank you for joining me, right? Was of course. Like, I think I might like that, too. I do. And then I just sat back and went, well, this is the thing that's going to happen, so I'm just going <laughs> to sit back and do my thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I am glad that it happened, and now I know more. Well, let's go into actual Blu-rays and DVDs. This is what we're here for. We're oh, five boy. minutes into the show. We should probably start talking about Blu-rays so. and DVDs. And we'll talk about the Arrow re-release uh, from a, uh, a, a 2K Blu-ray, so not 4K, but I believe mastered from a 4K, of Ridley Scott's Legend that is regularly held up from people who are like, oh, come on, man. Like, I mean, like, even if you don't like every Ridley Scott film, there's some films that are unquestionably good, and they always put Legend on that list, and I'm going to raise my hand and go, Legend is not unquestionably I love good. It, like, the way that you portrayed that person, you almost immediately, is like, shut up. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not. Because I, like I said before we started recording, this is the first time I've ever seen Legend. And you know what? I don't get it. I, it's, it's boring. It's stupid. And now, t- now, Tim Curry is awesome. You know how much he's in it, though? Like Fair. three minutes. Yeah. I mean, which version did you watch of this? Because this I, watched the ex- comes, I watched the director's. comes with the director. With the director's cut, I don't think it's necessarily longer than the other cut. Oh, I don't know. I watched the director's cut because I, I've seen like Ridley Scott's director's cuts in the past. I'm like, okay, I tend to like this a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, the one, he's one of the few guys that if he has a director's cut, it's probably a lot better. Than yeah. The I mean, it's just cut. like, it's definitely more, you know, overwrought and just like it's, it's long, but it's, it's a little more self indulgent. But here I, I still like, I, I guess 
All right, even, so the, the director's cut okay. is 114 minutes, the international cut is 93 minutes, and the American cut is 89 minutes. So decidedly, oh, so the director's cut is the longest version. Okay, yeah. So, like, I I just think that everyone's miscast, except for, uh, what's-her-face, uh, Mia something. Um, so in love with Mia Sarah, man from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She's 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 really cute. She's great. But, well, like, I, I, I still... I, I should say a story here, such as it is, is Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah, they shouldn't be in love with each other because she's rich, he's poor, but then, like, magic <laughs> shit happens... Giant Demon played by Tim Curry, which is a still to this day one of the most impressive ever creations with practical makeup of a devil type character on yes. the screen. It's he amazing. is incredible. Yeah. Uh, like has set a curse of like eternal winter on like, you know, basically Rivendell from Lord of the Rings. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, it was just all like winter all the time and everybody. What, what is his plan? And he's then, like, I got to get the unicorn's horn. Because yeah, there's a the unicorn. Uni- so yeah. I got one of the unicorn's horn, which killed it. But, you know, unicorns don't die so easy. Whatever. And like, just ask so Blade Runner. That, that was like, yeah, exactly. And that was like, <laughs> the, well, apparently Ridley Scott's just obsessed with the unicorns. I don't know what his deal is, but I, Ridley Scott is obsessed with a lot of things. I, cause I want to say yeah. that the end of this movie is alien like the way that the way that tim curry's okay uh, yes darkness is defeated spoiler whatever uh and the way that he goes out though is literally the exact same blocking oh yeah yeah as alien like opening the the uh as the the universe that was not the original theatrical cut though totally different ending really totally different ending oh shit Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, this is in, me in, again watching in the, the very time. least of like in at the very least in how extended that cut is, where it's just like, oh my god, this is going on forever. This. Well, yeah, this. he's just like scraping on the walls, like trying to survive. Still, I'm just like, it was funny because watching is like, did he just fucking copy his own shit? Well, there's like, much less of darkness in the other cuts of this. Like, like oh the, really? The, the, Even the, less? Yeah. The longest version here is there's by far more. Which you're like, once again, the strongest part of this whole film. Oh yeah. But that ending has a totally different take. Like in in the different versions, uh, in the American version of this, they literally just run off. They like we're in love now. We run off into the uh, into the forest laughing. Uh, the European version does that, but at least the American version has like a voiceover with darkness laughing. Like it's not over. They'll never be a legend too, for the record. So, but the director's cut is. I don't know. It felt like it added a little bit more like, well, this is not as easy as you think it's going to be. Yeah. Like, you know, I, like, I, I dug director's that. cut is by far the best version of this. Yeah. 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 And I, and uh, all three versions are included in the set for the record. It's, it's a pretty jam packed, like whole disc set. Uh, and, uh, and tin drum is in it, which we thought it was funny. Um, I'm sorry. What? The kid who played tin drum. Oh yeah. yeah. Drum. Uh, from the tin drum. Yeah. From the tin drum. Um, uh, oh my God. What is his name? Tin drum. No, his name is not Tindrum. That was the movie he was in. Uh, uh, David Bennett, right? Is that it? Oh, uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Um, I, I had it. Yeah, David Bennett. He was 11 years old when he started in the Tindrum, which was, we were actually reviewed on the site before because Criterion put on a Gunter oh, Grass yeah. uh, film, which is uh, a German movie, which is terrific and scary, like Nazi. It's so Germany fucking weird. Type thing. 
But uh, he was still a little kid, but he was one of those kids who was like, oh, you're not growing tall fast. So you're like like Elijah Wood or something. You're like, oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're you can play much younger. So they're like, oh, you're a little elf like character. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was getting lost and then exceptionally bored throughout that whole like t- Tom Cruise was boring in this, which is weird. And also deeply sexualized, which, you know, it's the 80s, so is every woman on screen for of Hollywood course. film. I mean, so is Mia Sarah in this. kind of odd to see a movie that was, like, almost, like, could be paired with a Top Gun for most amount of, like, maybe Tom Cruise is gay, uh, uh, like, sequences, because, like, he's running around in this little sort of chainmail skirt thing the mm-hmm. whole time, and the camera's kind of lingering on this, like, ooh, is that a shadow, or did I see something moving well, Ridley there? Scott knows and, like, what we like. Yeah, like he's very, very, like, more than Mia Sarah in this movie, Tom Cruise is, like, the sexual object of this film. You know, it's always funny to me, because I think that... um you know, I think Tom Cruise is a handsome guy. Like, I oh, like sure. Tom Cruise, even I'm though he's he's I'm a not, literal monster of a human being. I mean, that's a little bit far. He, well, he is, yeah, uh, you know, number I mean, two in Scientology. He believes in some bullshit religion, and he knows where uh, what's her face, uh, what's his face, his wife is probably. Um, Who, who's what's his face? Uh, 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 Ceviche. Uh, what's the guy's uh, the top guy's name? Ceviche. In, uh, no, the top top guy in Scientology. Uh, Savini, um, Tom, Tom Savini. Uh, what's his? God damn, Tom what's Savini's it? not in Scientology. I know Tom Savini's not in Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard? No, no. The 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 new guy that's in. I have I, no idea. Anyway, Tom Cruise is probably. No, he's out. He is out. <laughs> I the, I was I I, I was so thankful when I heard he was out of Scientology. Probably threw that out because I know what a Beck fan you are. I know I am, but I I always find it odd because I when I ask people like, do you think Tom Cruise is attractive? And everyone's kind of like, eh. Like, it's the same way that, like, people think about, like, Christian Bale. Like, I thought Christian Bale was, like, an attractive guy, but everyone's kind of like, eh. He's, they're both actors who are intense. Yeah. And do very intense performances right. of things. They're very forward performances. Yeah, yeah. And a certain amount of people, yes, very attractive. He's, they're certainly but, like, not generally, unattractive. No, yeah, they're not, like, uh, unattractive, but, like, generally, no, general, I would think like, that when Cruz was younger... He was like, yeah, sure. Like when you watch, uh, Risky like Business and Ricky or Business, Cocktail, yeah. you're like, oh yeah, he was a super hottie at yeah. this point. Uh, but you know, we just watched The Outsiders, which will be on a future digital noise where he's playing the most obnoxious guy in the whole crew of like guys who are clearly from Jersey, but they're in Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> and you're just like, oh wow, you're totally obnoxious. And he spends every scene like flexing his muscles, like look at these muscles. And you're like, yeah, you're not hot. Go away. But that was kind of Tom Cruise felt like. He went on a long road to become the superstar that he is. Yeah. And this was like one of his first big look how beautiful this kid is movies. You know, where yeah. it was just like all about the glamour. Everything is so soft shot. It's like it's like his Titanic. It's like it's it's yeah. both, it's when they both kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio and him are like, okay, this was for y'all. Now we're gonna do what we want to do. Yes. And it seemed like ever since then, they've done everything they wanted to do, and they've been highly successful at it. And they show themselves off with, like in more actory ways. I think the biggest problem with this is the same problem I have with Willow, is that it felt like it was written by people who only know fantasy as far as reading the back covers of fantasy novels. <laughs> like, oh, I get it. I get it. It's enough. I don't need to actually read the fantasy novel. I get the gist of it. Like, the these fa- are people fantasy. who don't feel like they actually read Lord of the Rings before they... Which was, even then, considered decidedly the ultimate fantasy novel. Yeah. Like, no, 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 I don't need to do that shit. I get the guy. Yeah, there's like Dungeons and Dragons. I got it. 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 Yeah, who were just like, this is dull and not terribly well thought out. 
I know people love this, and I'm sorry, and it is beautiful looking. The cinematography is gorgeous. Yes. And this era release, really, they just did the, you know, the grain is still there. So, they're, oh, yeah. you know, this is still Blu-ray, and they're not... There's a big argument to be had for grain versus not grain, which maybe we'll get into later with our last film. But um, I think this looks tremendous. I think there's a lot to be said for how beautiful. It's the ultimate. I have always said this is the number one screensaver movie ever. This is like, you know what I mean? This is like, sure. like a background shit to have on. Like, Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's gorgeous. And I mean, again... For, say what you will about Ridley Scott. I mean, he is a definitely hit and or miss. It's not really oh, like a middle yeah. ground. And, but the one thing you cannot say about him is that his movies are unattractive or ugly. Yeah. They're always all his pretty. movies are very pretty. Yeah. He is a photographer. He is a, 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 an artist. He is a painter. Like he knows what the fuck he's doing and he knows how to shoot this shit. Like I've always thought about if he worked with a cinematographer like, um, Oh, what's his face? Uh, th- did Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Um, uh, the the best like cinematographer in the world. Uh, oh, he- um, yeah, I forget. God damn it! What the fuck is it? He's worked with the Coen brothers. We for both years know who we're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, um, and he's British too. So why the fuck not? Um, I'm pretty sure he has worked with them. Deacons. Deacons. Yeah. Roger Deacons. Yeah. I don't know if he has. Uh, he almost certainly has to, right? Have- I mean. Pfft. I don't know. It seems like he's worked with the same, like, it's like with Spielberg now working, like, with, uh, J- uh what's his name? Uh, Andre Janakis J- or whatever his name is. But, like, really, Scott knows how to shoot something. It's gorgeous. It's always great looking. But his stories, though, is just like, it's like up and or down. And yeah. this one's a down. And it's barely a story. It's it, it, 100%. It's yeah. barely a story. And I'm just kind of like, look, yeah, if you want to have a great screensaver on your TV, then is, watch Legend, I guess. This is you bringing your own experiences of loving fantasy to this film, because this film has very little of its own to offer uh, in terms of story. There's some great visual stuff. There's also, if you're into goth stuff, there's like the whole sequence of Mia G- Sarah, who is of oh, one of the most beautiful bad. women of her era. Like, is in, like, the gothiest outfit anyone has ever worn, ever, and I'm including, she's the like, the goth crow. Ever goths. I'm including the crow, right? Like, she's, like, <laughs> even gothier than Eric Draven. Anyway, so there's a lot of stuff in this set, which is a limited edition, uh, but, like, multiple discs here, two discs, uh, so you can have all, the, all three of the cuts here. But I was... Pretty pleased with some of the bonus features I were, uh, watched. I did not watch the commentary by Paul M. Salmon, which is new uh, to this particular edition here. There are isolated music scores and effects tracks. There's Remembering a Legend, uh, which is uh, looking at the British cast and crew of the film. There's Music of Legend which is Jerry Goldsmith and Tangerine Dream because the different mm-hmm. cuts have different scores, which is almost unheard of. Yeah. Like, so I had the Jerry Goldsmith happens. one. Yeah. The, the, the director's cut. Yeah. It, I, cause I was really like ready to rock and roll with like Tangerine Dream. And then all of a sudden this happens like, Oh, this is like, well, like, like Krull. Yeah. No, and I like both those composers quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I love, love Jerry Goldsmith. I love Ter- Tangerine Dream, but they're completely different scores. I can't think of another movie offhand that has the director's cut and the regular cut have two completely different scores to them. Uh, the thing maybe 
Well, but no, no. There's just the one score for that. I think. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, it's Ennio Morricone. It, the, the thing but about the only... th- thing is, there's no John. It's the only John Carpenter film that John Carpenter didn't do the score for. Yeah, but the music for uh, like Ennio Morricone like is not in it though. He yeah, it like, cut up mo- most of it out. No, it's in there. Is it? Yeah. I, I think that there is a director's cut that mainly is just adding more of the score back in that was cut by the studio. But yeah, mostly it's in there. By the way, Roger Deakins has never worked with Ridley Scott. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Maybe it's like a, a, a headbutting thing because Ridley Scott clearly is a visual director and was like, I don't need that guy. Anyway, uh, there's a Creatures of Legend, a two-part featurette featuring on design elements, uh, Incarnations of a Legend, uh, which looks at the very the comparisons between the various versions of the film. Uh, the director is Ridley Scott, a full-hour archival documentary from 2003. There's the television version opening. The television version is not included here as a separate one. Oh, I did watch that. The, the, oh, did you? Well, yeah. Was there a difference? Or? No, I I don't know. I like it was you know the movie's already kind of long. It's just like uh, okay, it, it's it's just goofy. It's Fair. All right. So there's a music video. Is your love strong enough? I don't know. Is your love strong enough? But this is a a a, ba- a bound book in here with new writing, a double sided poster, new commissioned art and original art, uh, full color portraits of the cast by Annie Leibovitz. Leibovitz, which Jesus Christ, uh, really six, six double sided postcard sized lobby card reproductions and limited edition packaging with a reversible sleeve. And then the, the second disc, like I said, got like a lot of the same stuff, but like there's an original featurette for like 10 minutes, which is was sourced and fixed up from a VHS copy. There's a couple lost scenes that are in here that add up to about 13 and a half minutes. Ugh. There's all storyboards for multiple scenes. There's all, nine minutes of alternate footage, which is just like same scene shot from a different camera. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, sc- there's two different screenplay drafts, the first draft of this and then the shooting script uh, of this. I mean, this is a lot. That's a lot. If, okay, you, if you love a legend, legend, yeah. Which I know people who are. Yeah. I am not ever going to be that guy. No, like if but. you if you love legend, like the package that comes with this is incredible and it's just for you, but I just want to let you know you're an idiot. <laughs> I think that's a bit strong. <laughs> no, no, I I'm saying people like it is strong like. and also they're an idiot. Really? <laughs> No, I'm. Did only, you hate this this much? I didn't hate it. I just think it's dumb and it's boring. So as hell. you did hate it. I the, I didn't. Love I didn't it. hate it, but I think it's here's dumb here's what I always say. My grandmother always said, "You can't hate something unless you loved it before." And I never loved it. I don't think your grandmother was correct. Well, that's fighting words. Like I've never liked the Republican hey, Party. Hey, but. I'm I'm getting there with you, man. I love you, and I'm, <laughs> you don't want me to go to the hate side. All right, that's fair. So we're gonna watch. <laughs> Talk about Night of the Animated Dead, which I remember oh, that's next from hearing the title going, wait, what? I, uh, uh, what, so what, what exactly is the point of taking the, un, and I feel bad for George Romero, public access, because like a, a public, uh, not access, but oh, uh, uh, public domain, public domain, not the living dead, because they literally forgot to put a copyright on the screen. So it went that to public domain. That is so tough and oh. embarrassing. And also just to know that your movie has been in like every movie ever made. Like anytime, like it's a horror movie and they're like, like some characters like, let's watch a scary movie tonight. And then it's always Night of the Living Dead. And you're like, I'm coming to get you. Yeah. Barbara. Because it costs you no money to feature it. And it costs but a lot of money. Everybody recognizes it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. I mean, like literally in movies since the. And you year know what? After no one out. is doing that. No one is watching Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> 
you know, Night of the Living Dead really is a classic and an important game changer of a film. And I don't mean like, oh, just mad respect for what it changed. It really is a classic. It's well worth seeing. It, like, it was a lot of happy accidents, mm-hmm. but it's really good. So somebody went, why don't we take this entire idea from this 1968 movie, which was remade in 1990 by Tom, Tom Savini, who did a lot of the effects artists throughout Romero, Head the original director's yes. career. He has nothing to do with Scientology. <laughs> Uh, but like he actually did people shit on, but I think his remake is actually quite good. I think it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it got a lot of shit the same way that like uh, Gus Van Sant's Psycho did, even though Gus Van Psycho, Gus Van Sant's Psycho was a scene for scene remake, which was a weird, dumb exercise. And this was like, this is a remake. We're actually doing some different things. Right. But these guys are like, well, we're animators and we think that maybe if we change a few things here and there, make it shorter than Night of the Living Dead, which is 88 minutes. This is 71 minutes. Uh, let's, uh, let's see what, uh, see what we could do here. And, uh, I don't, what, what was the point? I don't know because I felt like that this was, like almost like South Park level kind of animation every now and then. It's so cheap. Well, like when when um it's the scene where the the young couple like they're in the the truck and like it it starts to get on fire and explodes and then when it explodes it looks like there is a like it stops the music and all of a sudden like their faces are like blown off or something like that and this is like this is straight out of South Park kind of violence. Yeah. Like this is ridiculous and I think that. He, the person who, uh, made this, which was, uh, some, some guy, uh, uh Jason Axon. Jason Axon. That's he, a name. He just basically wanted to show off, like, some of the violence that maybe Night of the Living Dead couldn't, like the original. Yeah. Like, I think that's all this was. And yeah, what if it was gorier? Yeah, well, it's, it was, would be really cheaper to do it in super cheap animation, right? And I, I, I don't know. This seems like what a was the point? Wasted why effort. Did, why did Warner Brothers put this thing out? Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called Money. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's just like Night of the Living Dead. Also, is still- it's literally a profit. All this is is no. a profit. I, I think it still goes down to like there's somebody who's working at Warner Brothers who's like. Zombies always make money. So, and Night of the Living Dead is a famous title and people love our animated division. And it's like three things coming together that nobody went who likes any one of these things or even any two of these things went, Oh yeah, I can't wait to see that. What a weird miscalculation this entire experiment. Is. And, and like the voice talent behind it was just kind of like, Wait, what? Like, like you Archer think- is better animated than this. Man, it it is like flash animation kind of like bullcrap stuff. Like it is it's it's weird. I don't get it. I don't know why they did it this way. It is um it's like it, it's like worse off than those um what are they called like the the new video games that like a uh, choose your own adventure kind of thing, but it's not like it's an action. It's like Walking Dead kind of sure, stuff yeah. where you just. But it's um, it looks like that. It looks like that almost, but yeah. like worse. And it's so bad. It's so bad. And I just like, I was, who goes into this going like, sure, Warner Brothers, we can do this for you as cheap as you want, but you never ask yourself why. Right. I all I will say about this is that thank Christ. 
that this is shorter than the original because I was like, all right, let me just get in, get out real quick on this. It's bad. There's no reason to watch this. No. I mean, unless you're like a huge devotee, which I don't know who that would be, of like the lowest budget possible, like extra gore for a thing. Yeah. It's like at this point, just watch the original or watch Tom Savini's version. Yeah. Watch Tom Savini's version, which is actually, like I said, unfairly dismissed. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. He was there for the original. Like, let this guy tell his, like, well, okay, this is this if it was gory. It's pretty good. You know, it doesn't have the legendary status of the first one and how much it influenced things, but it's pretty good. There's no reason for this to exist. There is a making up featurette animating the dead for a little under 10 minutes, but come on. Why? Um, Why? Unless you are the biggest psych fans. Because you get to hear uh, Josh Duhamel, Duhamel, I don't know how you say it. No, Josh Duhamel, no, Dulé Hill and uh, Catherine Isabel and and James Rode Rodriguez. I think those are the two guys. Katie Sackoff, Will Sasso. And Jimmy Simpson. I mean, this feels a lot like they sold it to Warner Brothers. Like, we can make this for like a dime. You have to pay us almost nothing. Like, somebody took points. It's like, oh, uh, sweet. That cost nothing we'll anyway. We'll do this for nothing. It's all old, like, flash animation from 20 years ago. Uh, so you can spend, Warner Brothers can spend money on actual voice talent who should be embarrassed that they're here. They should be embarrassed. I feel bad because, like, Jimmy Simpson, I love Jimmy Simpson. Uh, McPoyle. Yeah. And, uh, he's the, he's the brother. He's, uh, Billy or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, um, they're like, I'm coming in to get you, Barbara. And even that line is so iconic and it felt kind of let down. I was like, this movie blows right out of the gates. Fuck this movie. Yeah, no reason for it to exist. Well, let's move on to The Awakening, which is weirdly getting a double dip from, uh, like, like it got an original release from I think it was Universal, and now that it's it's being released by Cohen Media Group, which usually is sort of like a, a we feel you should reconsider this film type of group as being artistic, uh-huh. but they don't have the money or criterion, so they can't quite put together. Yeah, the even production. like the packaging is just like, did you screw up the like? Now, that, that's kind of their whole thing. They've got the, the red border. They're always like, we think this is a movie that maybe you should reconsider. It's, it's very thing. unfortunate. And sometimes they're right. And this time I think they're right. Actually, I really like the awakening. I don't think it's, it's the others, but different. It's the others, but not as good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's I mean, it. it's not as good. Uh, this is directed by Nick Murphy, who also did a film called Blood in 2012. But it stars Rebecca Hall, who is lately her career has been t- kind of taking off. She just did Passing. Uh, she just did Passing. She directed Passing, right? Yeah. Yeah. She wrote and directed it. Which is going to be a film we haven't even talked about yet on the site, but which will be an Oscar contender for yeah. certain. But uh, was just in, I think, the best horror film of the year in The Night House. Which one? What The Night House. Wait. Oh, I, wait, I didn't see that one. Oh, it's so great. Oh, is it really? Yeah, totally great. I, you said that name. I was like, that is the most generic horror yeah. like title. I was no. like, The Night House? Yeah, totally terrific. Yeah. Okay, well, but, cool. Yeah, very smart. I love her. I think she's great. Yeah, she and, is great. And this is, uh, it's, it's like a... She's investigating a haunted boys boarding school in post-World War One England. And she is... This is 1921. She's a published author who works with the police to try and bust, like, scony 
uh, spiritualist, which, you know, I would argue to say Charlatans. all of them were. But, well, yeah, you know, no, I would argue that, too. Yeah, but uh, she had lost her fiancé in World War One, And as it goes along, it becomes clear, like, some of it for her, which it was for many of, like, like people like Houdini was sort of like, I want someone to be actually the guy, the person who can do this. Yeah, I right. want to believe someone can do this, but I'm so angry that I believe that no one is that person. Yeah. So she's kind of that type of person. So she gets uh, invited by Dominic West, who plays a character named Robert Mallory. I'm sorry, a McNulty? A what? From The Wire, McNulty? Yes, I, but what? No, he's not called is Dominic that West. Here? He's McNulty. He's, That's just oh, all is that his name. actual name now? That's his name. He's just McNulty. He's McNulty. All right, fair. Anyway. Sorry, The Wire is the best TV show of all time. I'm just saying. Like, it's not, but fair. Uh, okay. Wrong. We, the we Shield should... is better. Oh, my God. It we is. need to stop this. I've been saying it for years. The Shield is better. You are insanely incorrect. Did you watch The Shield all the way through? I have not watched one episode. Oh, so you? I've seen both, so you're telling me I'm incorrect. I have seen The Wire five times, uh-huh. and but I'm you've saying not seen you're the incorrect. Thing I'm saying. No, Gore, I am so blindly you think, judging. You think by argument... Of, yes, <laughs> your argument that you've seen both of them, I have dedicated myself to okay. The Wire that many times, okay. and it is by far the best thing. <laughs> okay. Have you considered joining the Republican Party? Many times. It feels like you'd be good at it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying that necessarily you have to feel the shield is better than the wire out there. I'm just saying for me, I thought it was better. Sounds very like socialist of you, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You would just say communist, right? I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, they're the boys boarding school, uh, which had been a private home up until about 20 years earlier. Um, and he explains there has been sightings of a ghost of a child at the school and people are freaking the fuck out. And initially she's like, no, but then she starts feeling different because it's clear he genuinely cares about these children, these mm-hmm. orphans. And she has, some, she's a very empathetic person, despite having a sort of immediate sort of like hands off. No, no, go away. Like uh, I'm used to people taking advantage. Yeah. So she buys into, okay, I believe this guy actually has an emotional like reason to do this. She meets Maud, played by Melda Staunton, great actress, the housekeeper who, uh, who tells her immediately, like, I've read your books. I'm kind of a fan, what have you. Uh, and right off the bat, she's not clear as someone who regularly busts imposters. She starts to become, maybe there actually is something going on here. Yes, I, the movie was getting me, and then it became slightly boring, and then it became slightly horny, and then it became slightly confusing, (laughs) and, because I honestly cannot tell you what happened in the end, because I didn't know at that point who was who, like, who was connected to whom. Like, I, it was very strange because I, then I, I was, I guess like I looked down for like one second on my phone and then I felt like I missed the entire plot of the movie or something. Cause you really have to, I just burped a lot. I, you really have to pay attention to what's going on because there is a lot of little details about her past that is haunting her in the present and it is adding to the story because you just don't, you don't realize that, um, you know, she feels like she's seeing, a uh, uh, haunting from 
this place about like this kid that had died, but then you start to realize, you know, towards the very end that it may be something from her past. But I would argue that's why it feels like the others where people are saying, oh, it's the film that you have to watch carefully. You can't casually watch this film. No. You have to like be watching it for clues the whole time. And I think the problem is that the others features uh first off just a much better director like i mean the the oh. direction and cinematography of the others is oh yeah stunning and this is all just sort of blue gray and like and not that interesting no you know and it just it, it really i i felt i kind of felt bad for rebecca hall because it felt like at one point they just like kind of like shoehorned in the like like look I get it. He's McNulty. He's a horn dog. And like, uh, it's not McNulty. It's a totally different so character. I don't typecast the <laughs> actors, right? I will, t- I will typecast McNulty as a horn dog and everything that I would ever do. But it felt like there was even like a moment they were like, we gotta, you know, zhuzh it up with some sex appeal. I was like, why? Like in this, in this type of movie, like why the fuck are we doing that? It, it felt, the tone felt odd. That's I, that's a bit my biggest complaint about this movie. I didn't have a problem with that, with the sex appeal stuff, because part of it is that both characters, uh, McNulty and Rebecca Hall, are dealing with their own hang-ups about sex. Like, she's had, like, uh, her fiancé died in World War One, and yeah. he is, like, was injured really badly and feels super insecure about it from World War One. Okay, see, I, so I, I, I get it. I didn't understand that. I, that's what that was? Yeah. Okay. He was limping the whole film. I know, sort of. Did uh, you watch the movie right, or did you read the back cover? No. Well, like I heard there was like fantasy legend. in it, and there was a couple of uh, <laughs> unicorns in it. It was like, okay. I mean, Tom Cruise's crotch looked great in The Awakening. No, that's uh, fair. That's fair. But I, I, I don't know. I, in the end, I, I felt like it was kind of a missed opportunity with a interesting-ish idea. It like I think the movie. I know the Cohen Media Group is trying to make us like, hey, we're criterion for, for Walmart, spending right? zero money yeah. on releasing. And the thing. I feel like this movie is just kind of like, look, this is something that was on Hulu five I, years I, I'm ago. Just There's bonus features on this, but they're exactly the same bonus features from the official theatrical release from I think it was Universal. Oh. Like, there's nothing new. Uh, the only difference here between this and the Universal release is that they've cut off the Universal logo, which is weird, first off. Oh, they did? Yeah, it's just not even there. And like, wow, that's strange. Um, but it's all the same bonus features. Is Cohen, is this just sort of like somebody went, well, I'm a fan of this movie, so fuck it. I, I don't know who the fuck the fan is a fan of this movie. I was kind of a fan of this movie. That's great, but I'm like, when it came out. No, I mean, like, it came out, like, in very that, limited That's release. what's so strange about it, is that they chose this. Like, that, I'm, I'm actually questioning more of, like, Cohen Media Group, is that, wh- why the hell did they think, like, you know what we should do? <laughs> we should go back to this movie, the Rebecca Hall, like, who's Rebecca Hall? I remember she was, like, in Prestige, like, wait, Scarlett Johansson? No, 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 the no, other woman. No, I was like, no. okay. Oh, there was another one? Okay, <laughs> like, remember Vicky Barcelona, Mar- uh, like, oh, Scarlett Johansson? No, not her. <laughs> Oh, okay, wait, who are you talking about? Okay, so she did this movie called Awakening. What movie? Like The Awakening? She's, like, I with think Robin, Robin Williams? I, like, I, no, 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 it's, it's called The Awakening. I honestly think this got re-released because The Night House was seen at festivals. It was clear that it the was... The Night House was... This, 
the night house came out last year in festivals like people went how fast is wow this is amazing well there's almost nothing added to this so it's just like i think they went oh it's another ghost movie with rebecca hall and the night house is fucking fantastic and people were even some people are putting on their best of the year list I'm probably going to put it on my best of the year list. Oh, wow. I thought you it was here, folks. It's also been kind of a weak year, to be fair. But, you know, still, I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. Shang-Chi didn't do it for you? Uh, Shang-Chi is fine. It's just who would put that on their best of the year list other than people who only watch MCU and DC films, you know? Sorry, I just dripped whiskey in my chin. I guess I'm We don't full. drink whiskey. We never drink during the show. I guess I'm full. Anyway, we're going to move on to a film that was outside of the big box of candy they sent me to go with it very disappointing called bad candy oh fuck this movie they literally sent me a giant box of candy to go they with did it. they did why didn't you give me that because that would have been well, i'll go at get least it right now okay i'm going to get it oh you're gonna get it i'm getting it right now right? oh thank god i'm bringing you candy because bad candy starring okay Zach Galligan. You know it's the only movie that Zach Galligan's done that's okay? It's called Gremlins. And that's it. He is not a good actor. Thank you. Oh my god. That's not the candy they sent me. I'm lying. Oh shit. Oh well. Oh, there's Laffy Taffy. Here. I, they sent me this box. Well, let's just shake it. See the box? That's because I ate most of it already. Oh. But that was mainly like bubble yum and shit. I'm like, come oh, on, dude. Fuck, there's Seriously? Jolly Ranchers in this shit? Yeah, I bought that myself. Oh, there's Almond Joys? Oh, now you're speaking about fucking language. Bub- oh, God. fuck me. Sorry, everybody loves candy. It's way post-Halloween. We're still eating candy. Don't put that down there or the cats will climb into it. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so Bad Candy is a bad movie. Let's move on. Look, it's an, no, it's an anthology horror film. I tend to at least give the benefit of the doubt to anthology horror films that at least one of these sequences will be good. And this is following a Halloween-themed radio broadcast. So two guys there, one of which is Zach, uh, uh, what's his name? Galgan. Galgan from, from Gremlins. I've been, I've been talking about him yeah, for five yeah. minutes. Well, I was off getting the candy. What do you want from me? I've already said that he is a bad actor. Yeah, he is a he is not. He's a not good a good actor. actor. He's only done one good thing. It's called Gremlins, and then Gremlins Two. Okay, so half. Even then, sorry about the crinkling. Right, it's like I know we're recording a podcast, but I want to open the candy. Sorry, this is <laughs> things have changed, y'all. Yeah, the the whole game has changed here. He's yeah, like he's, he's just gonna shove candy down his gullet as fast <laughs> as he can. It's like in my house, we got rid of the candy, but here there's still candy. I'm gonna eat that. Candy. In my house, there was no candy. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they're radio guys, and then there's, like, the other guy is Corey Taylor from Slipknot. I didn't know that. I was like, I don't know anything about Slipknot. Yeah, the other radio DJ is- He's from Slipknot? He's, like, the lead guy from Slipknot. He's awful. He's not good. So they're talking about, um, local myths from the town of New Salem, where they live there, and- I got to tell you, I checked out immediately when one of them was this girl who seems like nice enough, who's dressed up as like a hot nurse. But then they're like, oh, you got to leave the party to go to actually do your job as a nurse. Oh, my God. And so she's like a mortuary assistant. And the girl literally is like, oh, look at this dude we just got in. He's kind of hot and starts having sex with the corpse, like necrophilia sex. And I was like, what is happening in this fucking movie? I just loved (laughs) <laughs> a whole Kit Kat in my mouth. Yeah, he, he did. He, I, you, I wish I had been filming that because he just like put it in there like he was trying to be like an impressive groundbreaker in porn. Look, <laughs> this is this movie is offensive in a lot of ways and also trying to be horny 
but badly. And I feel so bad for all the actors in this movie, especially her, the, the, uh, the nurse character who is like, what? I'm sorry, what kind of crazy person do you have to be, like, who's getting drunk at a party, like, oh, shit, I have to go take a shift at the auto- at the morgue and have to, like, dissect a body real quick? Like, what fucking world do we live in, and what world do they think that we live in? It's ridiculous. It's just and terrible. It's so stupid. And when she gets there... Yeah, she has the, I, oh, because she took, like, ecstasy or acid accidentally or something yeah. like that. Oh, no, it was on purpose. It was on purpose? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then, because there's, like, a drug dealer character who you're supposed oh, yeah. to, I guess, kind of like, who plays why? Who plays Charlie Manson in another thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I looked at, I was, I was kind of fascinated with by all these people, because I was like, man, you guys were trying. Dude, I, I get it. Like, I've seen a lot of, like, super low-budget horror anthologies that, like... They'll have that one good segment that you're like, okay, that was kind of worth it for what what I got out of it. And what was it supposed to be here? This is so cheaply made. The wraparound story is boring and reminds us that an actor from one of our favorite horror comedies is actually a terrible actor, and here's why he's been out of work for so long. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to be reminded of that. Like, no. dude, just show up to Alamo Drafthouse screenings of Gremlins and take your paycheck. Just, uh, you know. you're, you're, you're in one of the greatest, like, little, like, weird horror movies of all time. Just do that. Just and do it. There's a kid story here that initially, when this started, it starts with like a kid story, right? And I was like, oh, I kind of like oh, this. Yeah. I like, like antho- horror anthologies have a certain level of sweetness if they have kids starting. Yeah. And at first I'm like, oh, this is going to be like trick or treat, right? Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, there's going to be sweetness, but there'll be some g- supr- gore surprises, but nothing too heavy. And it'll be like, oh, this will be a fun little, you can show everyone horror anthology. Then the kid sequence at first, I'm like, I like this. It's packed with like Halloween like ephemera everywhere and i'm like oh they obviously spent actually some real money at points on like oh cool not supposed to be gory but like just like oh wow that would be a cool thing to see your neighbors put up type of deal but then the movie devolves into like this weird sex and drugs like thing and it never knows how to do it really no it's just a mess man and even this like the bad movie even the um what's it called the uh the I guess sort of terrifier villain, like the clown. Yeah, like the scary clown was like, Who keeps wow, reappearing because the little girl who's the run through thing from the first sequence, like apparently if she draws something, it comes to life. So she draws oh, an evil fuck clown. This movie, I forgot about that part. God yeah. damn it, that's where the evil clown comes from. Well, she draws the evil clown. And he's like, hello, I'm here now. I thought he was there before. No. I don't care. Um, She's got because her dad is an abusive dad, and I don't. I, whatever. Yeah, this is this is this not is good. Bad. Skip it. I, it's. Uh, I remember hearing about this because it was like, oh, bad candy was starring the guy from. Uh, Dude, they Grimlins. did great marketing for the 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 poster, and the yeah. name is a great name. And I was like, "Oh, everything I've seen about this makes me want to see it." No, it's terrible. Don't watch it. Also, I don't get the tagline. Trick or treat. You're dead. I'm like, wait, what? It's that simple. It, uh, <laughs> if you trick or treat, you're dead. <laughs> it's um, it's really bad. It's uh, minimal it's, effort. It's minimal effort. It is um, badly horny, and I'm going to eat another almond joy. Damn, you're just going through the almond joys and good because I hate coconut and. Oh my god, it's, it's so, so good. gross, disgusting. I'm sorry about the crinkly sounds, but right has just no <laughs> sense of decorum. Here, whatsoever. Here's the thing. 
I'm not sorry. And you should listen. Clearly. All right, let's move on to our Criterion release for this week, which honestly, I was so excited for this film. Yeah. Because I love the classic 60s Japanese horror. And I don't mean like the kaiju stuff. My apologies to Matt Frank. I have no bad feelings about that per se. But the stuff that was trying to be like ghostly stories or like real sort of like traditional horror, you know, there's a lot of good ones that are kind of hidden and not like. That, you know, tens of them, but like a handful that are like, wow, you should watch every single one of these. And Onibaba was the one I was missing. Was like, this is the one I haven't seen yet that everybody's like, this is a horror classic of a genuinely spooky, human-based, character-based horror film that from Japan from 1964 that you need to see. So when Criterion put this up, I was like, yeah, that's the one I want. Yep, 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 yeah. yep. Send that to me. And I like that you said that, like, human-based, because it is... It's spooky as hell. Yeah. And it's not supernatural, even though it's no. trying to sort of be. From the same director who did one of my, my previous favorite, uh, Kuroniko, uh, this, uh, Kaneto uh, Sh- Shindo, uh, Kuroniko, also Criterion released, was a ghost story straight up. And oh, was, yeah. Like, really oh, okay. spooky, but very character based, very human, but, but, uh, you know, ghosts versus humans, but with the love story and shit. Yeah. You know, as ghost Japanese movies tend to be. Right. This is not ghosts. This is not that type of creepy. This is about, God, the rarest of rare for Japanese cinema of this type of thing. Like, really, really bad people in a post-war environment who are, like, super poor and are, like, basically taking stragglers from the war going on and fucking murdering them for their shit. It's as if this is where all Cronenberg like derived oh, from i would say more so like texas chainsaw massacre or well, even that too but like yeah. it it just feels like a or more modern uh or like more uh like newer cronenberg where it's not like extreme body horror where it's just like it's about these really bad people and you just really get to like kind of love them in an odd way or just like you're at least fascinated they by get them so into their environment they're living in and you feel bad for them because quite frankly they have nothing they have nothing they're absolutely they, the they are most ki- poor they are killing poor. samurais who are deserting the war and because they infiltrate their grass like high uh, tall grass fields yeah. that they live in and they have literally nothing yeah and all they, they have is what they get from killing these guys and, when and they, they wander sell around. their armor and shit. And that's and like, here's like two bags of rice. That's it. You're like two bags of rice for their armor and they kill two human beings. It's the, it's, it, so it's like uh, um, a woman and her mother-in-law who live together because the, the son left for the war and they're like, will he ever come back? Yeah. And then the guy who was who lived nearby, who was friends question mark with I the guess son friends, yeah. who, who comes back like, no, nah, he didn't make it, but I'm here. So maybe I should fuck the daughter. And the daughter is surprisingly like, maybe you should. <laughs> I'm not a bad idea. But it really does get into like, I mean, this is like deeply into desperation. Like these characters have very little other choice. So you do kind of sympathize for with them, despite the fact that they're like flat out these warriors showing up like, oh, I'm injured. Can you help me? Like, yeah, I can help you with a knife to your throat and take your shit. Yeah. That was kind of like, wow, this is creepy, but also like. I can't completely blame them because it's the war and people like this that are the reason that they're and in even this from their point of view the is like place. it's because of you we're in this situation yeah and so they're taking like it's halfway revenge on these warriors that happen across their land I'm like man it this is very conflicting and it was very engaging oh for, yeah and the it, cinematography is astonishing yeah so 
I know you're about to talk about some of the um the behind the scenes or the the, uh, the features that has on this. This this fucking Blu-ray is fucking fantastic because I watched a whole um uh interview with the director and him talking about the nudity in the movie, which yeah. is all throughout no, actually. No shortage of it. Yeah. And he was talking about like, well, it's summertime and it's hot as hell. And if you were there doing this, you have to like wear really light clothes. And also, yet you would probably be topless the entire time because it's fucking hot. And I was like, wow, everything was so practical the way that he was talking about it. And, but for film, doing it that way, it's still suggesting something else. Yeah. And he knows that. He was very keen and, or just uh, aware of what was he was doing. With the story and like even like the setting itself, there's an uncomfortable sexuality about it, but not so far as to be like rapey or something. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're you're rooting for these characters to find a better way of doing things the mm-hmm. whole time, but none of them ever do. Mm-hmm. And it does get into spookiness of like, which is kind of borderline supernatural, but more of a con game type of thing with the classic idea of the it's, it's all about control yeah but it, it, yeah it, it, this is a psychological horror film yeah not not a ghost horror film yeah and i was here for it the whole time man all the shots of just like these people running through these tall the tall reeds that they live among and like the wind blowing through them and just i know it sounds boring on the paper but believe me it's just like stunning and spooky and effective and do you know, do you know the sound was when she was running to try to go get like fucked by the guy mm-hmm. it was pigeons oh okay that's what the director that. was talking about because like, the the cooing that pigeons have like that type of cooing is uh when they're trying to copulate oh so you put that there in there to... pigeons the movie yeah yeah uh, yeah. There, there, as you said, there's an archival video interview with the director, Kaneda Shindo, uh, which is about 22 minutes long. There's an audio commentary in 2001 where, where he was still alive and he was there for that with along with the lead actors, Kei Sato and Jitsuko Yoshimura that initially appeared on Eureka Entertainment's DVD release of it. Uh, there's the original Japanese trailer. There's a super 8mm black-and-white footage shot by actor Kai Sato, who played Hachi during the filming of it in the summer of 1964. There's no sound, but 38 minutes of just, like... Which was I actually thought was pretty cool. I sat through a lot of it. It was like, this is kind of neat, just having watched this film, of oh, them, wow. like, going, oh, wow. We, like, a lot of what they were doing they're really at location this isn't a fake location yeah he he described it like they have actually built a camp yeah i mean the booklet the illustrated booklet that comes with this gets more into this but like like they built this whole camp in the middle of this reed thing and they were trapped there there was nothing nearby so they were kind of living like the characters were to some extent and he put a part of his contract that you couldn't leave Mm -hmm. if you left you wouldn't get paid yeah I was like, "Whoa, that's kind of fascinating." I mean, it's, like, it's, it's really cool. The whole story is really interesting, <laughs> but and like also at the same time, the movie is really good. Yeah, it's fantastic, man. I loved this. I was just, you know, with it 100. percent Even though I went into it thinking this was going to be a supernatural movie, because supernatural horror is kind of I, my I thing, thought so. But yeah, like it's not at all. It toys with ideas from it, but more about like the suggestiveness of four people towards like folklore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I. 
really couldn't recommend this movie more. Yeah. Let's go into another horror thing that I couldn't recommend more, which is now available on 4K and Blu-ray. Unfortunately, the bastards just sent me the Blu-ray version and not the 4K version. I was like, damn you! Of uh, Demons and Demons 2. Oh my god. I love these movies so fucking much. I remember I saw Demons, the 1985 horror film directed by Lamberto Bava, son of... The guy who founded Italian horror, basically, Mario Bava, who's made so many great movies himself, but uh, in association with Dario Argento, who yeah. is the definitely the wunder, wunderkind of the next generation of horror in Italy, like launched with like um, uh, Deep Red and Suspiria, Suspiria and shit yeah. like that, went on to like have an amazing career. But he produced this, was deeply involved in the making of this. And I remember seeing this in the theater in Washington, D.C. as a kid. And Wait, you saw this as a kid? Yeah, I saw this when I was like... I forget, you were I mean, 152. It, wasn't, it wasn't when it first came out. Uh, it, I, it was like a re-release, but even then I was like 17 or 18 or something. Wow. Uh, but I was like, what the fuck? Because it feels not at all like Argento stuff in many ways. This is actually a very it, it, Americanized film Yeah, it's, it's a lot ways. campier, and it's a lot gorier. But it feels like, hey, Americans, here's how you do this, is what I took from it. Because it's like mixing the Italian giallo influences with stuff that was going on in American horror and going, yeah. oh, well, this is how you do this. And there's stuff that doesn't work. But, like, the idea of all the guys riding around outside who are snow- snorting Coke out of a Coke can, and there's uh, weird, the best. weird nudity scenes that serve no purpose whatsoever in there. Like, okay, this is just there for the American audience. It's funny, because, okay, we're we're talking about both of these movies, right? Because it's, like, this whole, like, release. Yeah, this stuff comes with Demons and Demons too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I've seen Demons before on a little-known podcast called Trash in the Can, and... Um, Nobody knows about that shit. <laughs> and, then De- and then Demons 2... I, I realized halfway through, it was like, wait, they're like the same movie. Uh, it's like, it's back to back, the same goddamn idea. I mean, but they're treated so differently. I mean, it's, Demons 2 is definitely a sequel to Demons 1. It's just a different but, setting. But it's surreal. You know, it, it, it's like, oh, well, because it's coming from I, the TV. I've, I've watched both these movies many, many times. And I think that Demons 1 and Demons 2, the idea is that Demons 1 happens first and Demons, but only the first, like, 30 minutes of it. And Demons 2 is happening at the same time. That I uh. think it's happening concurrently. Because, because they, they're watching is... the movie that they're watching at the theater, right? Yeah. On the TV in, in Demons 2? No, it's a different movie. Oh, it's a different movie? Yeah. I, I think that... All right, so let's just say. Bunch of people get passes from this weird half-metal-faced stranger, which they're like, oh, like, oh, that's cool special effects makeup. And they're like, oh, it's an invitation to a private screening at this place, the Metrograph, right? Isn't that what it's called? Yes. And they're like, oh, that sounds fun. And so it follows all these people, one of which is the most awesome pimp ever on film. Which he also plays the best, like, coach or workout guru in the second film. Yeah. Yeah, who, who comes back. A lot of the characters come back as different characters in yeah. the second film. But, like, they're like, yeah, we're here to see this movie, and we're going to smoke in this theater, we're going to do whatever the fuck we want, we're going to drink and party and have sex. <laughs> but, you know, not they're not teenagers, really. There are teenagers, but, like, the worst offenders are not the teenagers. Right. And there's, like, this crew of, like, uh, two girls who are friends... And the two guys they meet who are like, we don't fuck these chicks, right? Almost right out of the gates. Right out of the gates. Yeah. Right. 
and they go into the theater proper and there's like this great sculpt like not sculpture but like a motorcycle like a dirt bike motorcycle with a knight in armor holding a mask and somebody takes the mask and puts it on like ah, one, one of the 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 pimps uh, ladies yeah and, and she like cuts her face cuts her face yeah. yeah and she's like ah fuck and then they're watching the movie which they're like oh it's a horror movie nobody knows going in what they're in for it's not but, a living like, dead. this deeply style stylized movie theater you know which even has like a poster for i believe it's uh fly a uh, four flies on gray velvet a previous dario argento film on the wall <laughs> uh you know you should have clued in there but like in the movie somebody finds a mask which they tie into nostradamus's tomb or some shit it doesn't matter uh it, like puts it on cuts themselves and then it starts bubbling and they turn into a zombie here's the thing the practical effects in this movie to this day are some of the best I've ever seen in any zombie thing ever. It's they're still amazing. great. It's still really, really like, good. And people turn in, they're not zombies. They're demons. They grow like their teeth fucking all like their teeth, like demon well, teeth push their regular teeth yeah, out. Yeah, like they're evolving yeah. into like bigger and crazier beasts. Yeah. And like they're not zombies because they are cognizant of what's going on and they are, are they, they're just well, monsters they're, they're just they're not dumb like zombies they're not like are, dumbs like zombies but they're like they're not none of their human side remains which i think is like an it what's really weird about this series uh it, it could be like a detriment to the idea is that it was done as if it was a zombie movie but then it was called demons yeah. Well, I mean, they, they went different. This is, there were no fast zombies at this point that didn't exist. Oh, yeah. Fast zombies weren't a thing. And this was like, well, if they're going to be fast, they have to be something else. They can't be zombies. They have to be possessed by demons. And the idea right. is all these people are possessed by these demon souls that came out of, oops, she put on the mask. And uh, the comparison to zombies is that if you so much as get scratched by one of these guys, the tiniest bit, it's going to bubble up and pus will come over and you'll turn into a zombie or into Man. a demon within 10 or 15 minutes. The the practical effects with like some of the, the gross stuff. That's what I love about these movies is that it's gross. It's so gross. Yeah. And wonderfully gross and inventively gross. Yes. Where you're like, wow, what a cool thing. There's a shot where they're pushing out where someone's teeth are growing out of their mouth. Uh -huh. And you see like their regular teeth fall out and blood is just spewing out and the demon teeth are coming through. And I'm like, to this day, I watch that and I go like, I don't know how you pulled that off. That looks amazing. It's still it's is so good. as good as anything you would see today. And yeah. honestly, I can't think of an effect in the series in either one where I was like, that was bad. They're all good. Yeah. I mean, for the amount of money that they have and, or had, and then uh, just the story itself was like, all of it was really front to back, really well done. Yeah. And like, say what you will, like, they're not like good, but like, I still love them. I think they're right. Right. I disagree with you. I, I mean, I don't think they're great movies. No, I, I just mean, think that they are great movies for what they're trying to be. No, exactly. And like, they're like schlocky, like crap. Perfect schlock. Perfect schlock. And I, I think they're really goddamn fun. And, um, I mean, nobody's expecting a passage to India here. You know, <laughs> this is, this is trying to make a really great horror film and as really great horror films. No are, one's expecting a I legend would, here. I would put this up there with the Evil Dead films. Like, if you have not seen the Demon films, uh, and you've seen the Evil Dead films, I think you need to... 
Yeah, I mean, I, I th- 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 these would be a good like quadruple feature because you get to see the like basically the Americanized version and the Italian version of yeah. what they're all trying to and go for. You have the for. option to watch different versions. Yeah, it's yeah. like this is basically what you're going for here. But yeah, they're fun. Uh, I love these. I'll, I'll never stop watching them. And I was fucking thrilled with this set in particular because it came with some physical stuff that came with it that I was like, oh my God, I'm really excited, which is a full poster of like yes. with the Metrograph theater, yeah. but with the demon mask on it. And it was like, oh my God, I kind of considering framing this shit with a ticket that was the ticket that they were invited to for the, for the apartment complex well, for, the par- and for the apartment complex in the second and one the and metro. the metro graph, which is like, Oh, Metropole. Metropole. Sorry. Metropole. Metrograph. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Oh my God, I love physical media sometimes. And this is one I was like, shit, I'm thinking about just getting a frame with all that shit in one picture. Oh, shit. So the fucking cool. Uh, and a lot of bonus features that are here for both movies. This is by far the best version of either one of these films that has been released so far with two different commentary tracks, uh, 27 minute produced by Dario Argento visual essay by Michael McKenzie, who looks into the whole history of his career, especially with like his crossover with American stuff like George Romero, because I think that's really relevant with this film. I think this was a film made with American audiences in mind. Uh, Dario's demon days, which the interview with Dario Argento, uh, 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 defining an era in music with Claudio Simonetti, which I think great soundtrack, but also weird for the time score choices that hold up where he went heavy metal, like American heavy metal. Yeah, with he does that quite a bit. It's a weird choice, but it fits. It really does. I, it just a style. It just feels like they just don't give a fuck. Like, that's the thing. It's like the whole, the both movies don't feel like they give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. No. Uh, there's splatter stunt rock for nine minutes. Interview with the stuntman, uh, Ataviano del Aqua. I'm probably saying that way wrong. I love watching you try to pronounce. I know uh, everybody does. That's like my, I should just recreate myself as like the guy who pronounces <laughs> international names wrong. Uh, Dario and the Demons for about 16 minutes. Second interview with Dario Argento. Uh, original theatrical trailers. And the second one has even more. Visual essay by Alexandra Heller and Nicholas called Together and Apart for about 27 minutes. Creating Creature Carnage, for, uh, which is an interview with the makeup artist here who talks about his history of working with Dario Argento. God, the makeup is so good in these things. Uh-huh. It really is. The Demons Generation explores the, both the movies with the help of Ro- Roy Bava, son of Lamberto Bava, who trained as an assistant director on Demons and a second assistant director on Demons 2. Uh, screaming for a sequel for 16 minutes. Interview with Lamberto Bava again. Uh, sa- soundtrack for Splatter. 27 minutes with composer Simon ba- Boswell. Uh, you know, and the second movie I should say is like, like I said, it feels like maybe it's concurrent. You have to do some mental gymnastics to make these films work <coughs> in the same world. But it's like an apartment complex. They're almost like not really that connected at all, really. But it, it's like you want I, to connect them as th- much as you can. I think both these movies, the idea is that there's an attempt to bring on the apocalypse by some group that we never get to see. That And there are 
two or maybe even three movies that in different markets are labeled as demons three and four. Yes. Uh, but isn't it like the church is yeah, one of them. Yeah. yeah we and did that on the show sect, too. I believe is another yeah. one uh, we're like, okay, you can see how they're kind of similar, but they're clearly not directly connected, but I always regret. I always hate the fact that there is nobody who went, yeah, here's the cult that's doing this because there's clearly someone behind it. There's a mother of all tears, if you will, for this group. Well, you know? Yeah, but it's also like, so is there a, a guy with a, a chrome, half chrome face in all of these or something like that? It's like, the way that guy one. gets it in the first one is like, oh, that's awesome. It's great. It's just, it's, it's Crowbard. Crowbard. Uh, it, it's just all of it. I think in the end, all of it is just really weird, and they're just throwing everything at the wall. And, and I think it's great, and it's fun. And in the end, the gore you make is equal to the gore you take. <laughs> Are you done? Have you another Almond Joy? Yeah, something. just eat all the Almond Joys. I don't want that. Anyway, Demons is fucking fantastic, and you should watch it. If you've never seen it, you're missing out. I'm going to talk about something real quick that you did not get to see, because I honestly, I was like, you didn't watch the first season. I'm not going to make you or anybody else on Digital Noise watch it. But I'm going to say right now, the Snowpiercer television series. I'm surprised this is good. It's really good. I'm surprised because I love the movie a lot. And yeah. uh, directed by Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. Um, uh, from 2013 film with, with uh, Chris Evans, I believe it was. Hottie McHottieson. Yeah. Uh, really, really good. Based on a 1982 French graphic novel called, I, I'm not going to pronounce that. Never mind. I shouldn't have said Snoopy called. Snoopy Seal. Uh, oh, really? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a reboot of the film's continuity, so it's not a sequel to it. It, it, the first two or three episodes are like, wait, it's a reboot. Wait, it's a sequel to the film. It's a reboot of the film. Okay, okay. As a television series, because the about first to say, I was like, wait. two episodes or so are like, this is largely the film, but then it completely goes its own way. Huh? Like, like really, really goes its own way, and. More so than almost any sci-fi product I can even think of, this is metaphor on the surface. Like, this is the most political genre show that exists. Oh. Period. Everything here is about discussing the difference between socialism and capitalism. Yeah. This is the point of this whole thing, as it was the point of the original movie. Right. Uh, but here, deep dive... And we get some pretty big stars coming into this, like Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs playing two of the major characters here in the first season are kind of going head to head as Jennifer Connelly is the voice of the train. In the movie, kind of the bad guy, the ultimate bad guy. Here, and, you know, spoiler, if you don't want to know any further, if you're like, I'm sold, I'll watch the series. I haven't watched the first season yet. But in the second season... By the end of the first season, it becomes clear that the person who was the vision of the train, who she is supposed to be speaking for, as far as she's concerned, died. Like, when it took off, she betrayed him and was like, no, your vision is terrible Like of what the future should be in this post-apocalyptic. The only way to keep going is this train that moves at incredible speeds around the world. 
when the temperatures are at like 200 degrees below zero. You can't survive outside of this technology. I know it's absurd, but just go with it. Yeah. Right. It's more about the metaphor than it is about like how plausible that is. Right. But by the end of the first season, this guy who's one of the tailies, you know, the guys at the tail end of the train who literally snuck onto the train uh, as it was taking off and everything was chaos. David Diggs, they've, he successfully has made kind of a coup on the rest of the train, finds out that she was like, I literally am trying to do my best to make everyone survive here because the guy you all think I was, he's dead. Don't worry about him. But he's not because in the last episode, it turns out he had a secondary train that he attaches, he finally catches up to them, shows up, attaches to the back and goes, all right, y'all are fucked because now the guy who's practically a Christ figure to people on this train, they wrote literally his big W is everything on there. Oh, what's his name? name? Um, uh, Sean Bean is the one who plays right. him. Which you're like, oh, he's going to die. Yeah, he's going to die. He doesn't die at the end of the season. Let me just say it, the second mm. season. I was shocked. I was like, it's Sean Bean. He's going to die at the end of the second season. Well, yeah. Sean Bean always has to ask, like, so when do no. I die in this? No, yeah, exactly. Well, he's actually said that, no, I will no longer take those roles. Really? Yeah, he said, I will no good longer take that. for him. I mean, I guess. He's really good at dying on screen. Also, it he is has not died in movies before. <laughs> I've seen Ronan. He's not died in Ronan. I, I know, but people associated it with him. I know. Anyway, second season, pretty damn good. As uh, the crew that is sort of like, okay, we won this war on Snowpiercer itself have to deal with the new train that's hooked up to them, Big Alice, and they have to run by the guy who run this, who's ran, who created all this, who's a huge narcissist, who's like, no, I, my only goal is to be in control of everything. And he is like a Roman emperor, like Nero or something, you know, he's like into crazy sex and he really wants to get back his um, muse who we saw on the first season, who runs the sort of show car, like a nightclub car. Yeah. And there's a lot going on. I got to tell you, man, I love this show. I'm so happy they renewed it for two more seasons. I was like, this is so smart. And like, there's so much going on in it. I was, I mainlined the second season when they sent it to me on Blu-ray. I I went through the whole thing in like a day and a half. I was like, damn, yeah, this is good. I'm assuming every episode is like an hour long, right? Yeah. You know, hour with commercials because it's TBS. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's, Really good. Okay. Like, highly recommended. I'm, I, I've been really wanting to watch because I'm a huge fan of the, of the, uh, of the, the movie. And I've always wanted to pick up the comic, Snowpiercer. No, I've and, never read, never read. And never read it. And, uh, and I, I've seen that it's extremely expensive online, uh, to try to get it because it's out of print. But, uh, yeah, it's a really just great and interesting idea. And so I'm glad the TV show, I, I was so shocked. It's like the same kind of idea when, Something so good as a movie like Fargo becomes a TV show. Yeah. TV show, and then and it like, turns out it's great. Which it Fargo great. did? Yeah. yeah, I'm just like, wait, what? And uh, and like Snowpiercer is like, well, turned I out get- to be a terrific TV show. And now I feel like I shouldn't be shocked by things that were a movie and now become a TV show. In some ways, I prefer the TV show to the movie. And I bet I, I I can see why because like mean, the Fargo TV show. Granted, the Fargo TV show is just like. Is a, it's it's just an anthology. So it's like it's more of like it could be whatever the hell it wants to be. And uh, but like with Storepiercer, I could see I was like, oh, there are moments here where I'm like, okay, you're kind of like fudging your own like 
uh, science of like, really? Would that work? Uh. But I don't know because they're like, I kept going, this is like distant future science, whatever. Don't get carried away with trying to like be the guy who's like, well, actually. Yeah. I don't know. But there are moments I went, but with characters, I never did that. And that's more important. I never went, that character right. wouldn't do that after you've set that up. Right, right. You know, I went, okay, I believe all this. And there's a lot of characters on this show. Right. Like, a lot. And they keep introducing more, and then they die, too. You know? Like, a lot of characters die regularly on this thing. That's great. But, and, and the effects are good. And they do this cool in-between thing where they, like, do animation with stuff with the different trains. I don't know. I like the show a lot. I think more people should be watching it. It's pretty cool. If you're into, like, metaphor metaphorical science fiction, I think you'll really like it. Well, I will definitely watch it at some point. Not on Digital Noise, though. Why? Well, you didn't tell me to watch it. Oh, sorry. I didn't even get what <laughs> We're going to take a bit of a sideline to the sort of thing we don't normally do as far as a movie review so much as just throw in among the side of like, yeah, that's how we feel, which is the big scary S word. What do you, if you had never heard, had no idea what this movie is and the title's called the big scary S word, what would you think the S word was? Sex. Uh, yeah, me too. I yeah. was like, oh, is this a sex thing? No. I was trying to think of a funnier word. But then no, I was like, it's the obvious I, choice. Yeah. yeah, it's the obvious choice. And, you know, I'm obvious and I am sorry. You're not obvious. I appreciate You're that. complex and interesting. <laughs> oh Just like socialism. <laughs> Just like socialism, which is, in fact, the big scary S word. And here's the thing. And I've learned more from reading some things online from uh, a couple different politicians that I follow, like mm -hmm. uh, Democratic politicians, than I did from this movie, fascinatingly enough, hmm. about what socialism actually is. And it dates all the way back to pre-Civil War, mm -hmm. with it being used by, back then, the Democrats, who are basically what the Republicans are today, but using it as like this demon thing like oh it's socialism like most people think this was a cold war thing right you know like oh it was just because of communism no 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 that idea was used early on as this idea like no how dare you because it had nothing to do with anybody who had ever done it that had had of a negative effect of it it was the idea that like this goes against this idea of what america is and yet when you really look at the origins of America, a large amount of the people who founded America were pretty much democratic socialists. Hate to tell you, which is very different from national socialists. I think <laughs> that, right. I think that the idea of uh, when it comes to like the idea of America, I, the, I watched this, this, uh, today actually, uh, on like a Sunday morning. I think that a documentary like this is just kind of gets me jazz when I'm just like, Fuck yeah, this is something I believe in and it's, it's interesting and it gives a good, like, you know, Wikipedia and Cliff Notes version of the entire history of socialism. W within American terms. Cause with this American is terms. really about America's yeah. relationship. America's with uh, relationship with socialism. And I, uh, I appreciate it and I thought it was actually, it wasn't that bad. I thought it was a, uh, you know, it it was a good uh like TBS version of a documentary of some kind. But I uh I do It kinda made me miss the 
point where, uh, what's his name? He used to do all the political American, uh, Michael Moore, when he would do these big fun ones that were like, well, oh, you that's know the how thing. to make it's like, It's fun. very just like uh, talking heads, uh, yeah. a few here and there, and just like some graphics, and that's about it. It's very run-of-the-mill, like documentary. Like if, you, if we're going to be discussing, like reviewing the technique behind the film, the documentary itself is not the greatest in the world. It is very... Uh, uh, just it's run fine. of the mill. It's, it's, it's fine. It's entertaining enough. It's not it's, it, totally dry. No, it's, it's not totally just, dry. Because yeah. like I think the the subject matter ma- ma- uh, matter carries it more than the the film was like trying to I put mean, together. Like most people, even liberals, aren't really clear on what the history of socialism in America is, or even what socialism means. Right. You know. I mean, like there's a lot of confusion of like it crossing over into. Once again, national socialism, which is what the Nazis called themselves, or communism, which is what Karl Marx and and, uh, uh, Russia became. Right. You know, it's not that. This pre-existed, like literally socialism existed before Karl Marx. Karl Marx. Right, right. Invented the modern idea of it. And the idea that our country was founded about, like, yeah, it's for the people. It's like like, How far do you have to, like break your brain to go listen to the early statements of the founding fathers to go like clearly socialism was on their mind right <laughs> it's like it the, the one like fact that they brought up which is still because this was done like in what 2019 and was released in 2020 yeah oh no it was released in 2021 but it just came out yeah just came out uh, okay so the fact that there was six people that have more money than most of American citizens combined. Who who would possibly look at that and go, this isn't a system that's working? Right. Unless you just say, like, man, capitalism works. If you hit the... Because there are 300 and, what is it, 60 million people now in America? Like, it's it's getting pretty high. I Did you get the guy with the red hat? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 361. So, 361 million people. There's a lot of people in America. And then you say six... Of them have the most money, all of them combined, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, the most, and like by like a a crazy proportional margin, and like why do you think that's a good idea, or also like, or you think for because you're fucking stupid (laughs) that you think this is a good idea? They're like, well, they just made it, and like. Look, which every last one of them came from a handouts from previous generations. They, they either came out from every handouts, last one. or despite they the were, mythology, they sell themselves out. Sure, yeah. but let's just say if they were coming from their own like upbringing of just like but they did can, it on their own, matter. it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, it doesn't the, matter. The fact that they own, they had that. Like there is nothing that a human being will ever need to purchase or do what, for themselves with that kind of money. We have the world's first trillionaire. Right, like, that just happened. Like, we've never had a trillionaire before, and now we do with, I think it's Elon Musk, right? Right. Like, first time, what, what is that, how does that benefit anybody in America? No. He's taking the rest, he's taking money that should be spread out among the rest of the world. You don't have that money in the economy because he does. I, I always find it funny with these, with these types of people where it's like, you realize that, uh, that all you have to do is give up Let's just say, for a hot minute, half of your money, you're still one of the richest people in the world, and you just saved half of America's life with an instance. Anybody who has that level of money 
who doesn't choose to do that, by definition, you're kind of a monster. Yes. End of story. And like so you could still be like, you could give away 90% of your money and still fucking own your own Disney theme park. And have more money personal, that would like just know? last 10 times your lifespan. Yeah. And like, I, what I think that is interesting and I think is good about the movie is that I think it's like socialism for dummies. And I, it kind of is, yeah, yeah, and I, I appreciate it because the idea of separating it from what you might think socialism is, right? And because yeah. I, you know, I've never thought socialism was like a scary word, uh, but like I understand that this is trying but, to appeal but it's to people. Been demonized since literally it, pre Civil War, yeah, it's yeah. been demonized for a very long time, and I understand that uh, people kind of like, oh lord, like when they think about socialism because they think, I guess they think Nazis. When and I think of Nazis, I think white people, and. Uh, <laughs> And so I think it's funny that people think that socialism is a bad idea it's, and then they watch it and I'm like, okay, well, this is a good intro the problem into is who it. Do you, how do you get them to watch this? Who is the border people well, what, who, who are not like, who don't totally get it, who are like, okay, I, I admit I'm not totally clear on what socialism is. How do you go like, yes, you should watch this so you do understand what socialism is because most people who have a problem with it who need to see this would never, ever, ever watch what it. What I thought that for... Ooh, They'd oh. assume this is like propaganda the same way that we assume Mein Kampf is propaganda because it is. Yeah. yeah. Or I, Fox News. I thought for a hot second... Same difference. When you gave me this to watch... I, I didn't know what like the big scary S word was because I don't think socialism is a scary word. No. And, uh, I thought for a hot second this had something to do with right wing stuff. Like this was a, a pro, I was like, oh, that's weird that we're watching no, something like that. That's really the history of like what socialism is. No, no, exactly. But I, I, the, the way that the packaging and the way that it's presented, it, it looks kind of, not to dog the movie or anything, but it looks kind of shitty, kind of like a yeah. right wing propaganda movie would be. Yeah. Like, uh, what, what's that? Oh, what's that? It looks filmmaker? like it might go the other way. Yeah. It uh, might go the other way. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but I, I hope this goes, I hope this is on the radar of some people's minds. Cause here's, here's the unfortunate part. I don't think it will be because it's too small of a movie and it's too small of a documentary that I, and one is also a documentary. So like, I don't think a lot of people are going to see it. Right. Like, like I said, I kind of miss the Michael Moore era where yeah. he was like, actually he was winning Oscars and stuff. And I get it. I get why people got mad because he exaggerated. He was using manipulative techniques, but. That kind of is like, how else do you talk? Like, it's the same shit I get mad at the Democratic Party for in general of like, stop the bad guys, the Republicans. They're constantly using this shit, like manipulative techniques and populist techniques and like bad advertising and lies to sell stuff to you. Right. And then we're mad at a guy that's just using Hollywood techniques, not even lies. You mean he's Hollywood like a filmmaker? Popularism Crazy, uh, right? To sell ideas to you? Wow. And Democrats are like, you're right, then this little imbalanced. I'm like, oh my God, seriously? Like, uh, uh, we just put up with like the Democratic Party gets elected again and we go, okay, so uh, you know what happened with Trump and everything that did that, the, the barrage of lies and Biden's like, I'm not entirely sure how we're going to fix this, but, and the whole world is like, great, see, that's what happens. You can't trust Democrats. I'm like, oh my God. I, I find <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's so funny in this modern day and age. I don't know why we're talking about politics because of Well, it's a political movie. Yeah. It, but like, it's funny to me how we're whole, we always, 
when I say we, I, because I, I'm a Democrat, I mean, I vote Democratic, but like, um, yeah. I mean, if there was a better choice that had a chance of winning, I would pick that choice, but sure. there's not, but there's not, that doesn't but like, have a chance of winning because of the way the system is our, our hellscape of a world. We only have two parties to choose from. And yeah. so I'll of course choose the one that's like, Oh, what's it called? Um, you know, not evil. And yeah. so, uh, and so I, I'm I'm saying the Republican Party is evil. And so uh, I will say that they're, they're this, also like the worst party. At this point in, the, in time, yeah. I will say that they're all like basically racist. And uh, and uh, I mean, at this point in time, I'll agree with you. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's still some people who are like, stop being tribal, stop being, turn off your lizard brain. Why do you still call yourselves a Republican if you don't identify with the Trump Party? Because all but six Republicans who are currently elected officials right now yeah. have signed on to Trump. So if you're still calling yourself a Republican. I don't know what's wrong with you. No. I think you're like that guy who's like, my team has been losing for 50 years, but they're still the best team in the world guy, you know, who right. face paints themselves that things. I'm like, okay, that's not admirable per se, really. And like, what's so funny to bring it back to the movie with socialism. Still part of the movie. It is. Uh, I feel like that this is the, this, I, I, I don't give a fuck. Uh, I feel like this is like the one true way. And like into in the only way possible of like some kind of utopia mm-hmm. of just like this is the the best way to go. Yeah. Because I mean it's every not um, pretty much every country in the world that is a first world country has figured this out except America. Right. Because we're stubborn and we're white and fat and rich. and and rich and we don't give a shit about anyone else and we think that well it's because of their own faults because they got into drugs and you know whatever but else that's the way that that that, that it's been marketed and right. that's the point of this whole thing is is about the marketing and the way we sell poverty versus success is all nonsense it's right. just bullshit and we because we bought into it as a country we've let that gap grow even more it goes into teddy roosevelt the guy who went like no this is bullshit and we're about to all we're about to collapse as a country because of this that's what's so crazy is like this shit was not like that crazy just like 50 years ago 50 60 years ago like he like there are reagan's the one who changed everything reagan is the worst human being alive and uh i mean he is really like or dead he's the worst human being dead like i don't know where they're gonna go with the star wars thing eventually but i feel like there'll be a guy who leads up to the emperor who led the way for the emperor and like that's gonna be right i uh he's like the john the baptist for the uh, the emperor palpatine he was uh (laughs) he he was my apprentice for a little while i just don't understand how anyone who has the faintest amount of intelligence or compassion and I think it's compassion. That's the biggest thing. And intellectual curiosity yes. to actually pursue these things can still vote for the Republican Party. No. Don't get it. No. Just don't get it. I mean, like 20 years ago, I would have gone like, man, I totally think you're on the wrong path. But like, I don't think you're a fucking like psychopath. And I just now thought, I'm like, like, if you're still voting Republican, I think you're kind of a fucking sociopath. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I, I think you're a bad person. I think you're a bad person. And sorry, uh, I, I, digital before, noise sets its shit down. Yeah. It yeah. We're, we're saying, here's like, the digital noise saying, saying if you're voting you're Republican, voting Republican you're, you're a bad, a bad person. person. I'm not even saying if you vote independent, you're a bad person. Although I think that maybe you're a little confused. If you also, if you vote libertarian, win. you're fucking dumb. Uh, I don't know about dumb, but misled, perhaps. I think you're fucking dumb. I think you're not reading 
reading all the facts. No, you're yeah. fucking dumb. All right, it's I'm not going to go that strongly. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go, go, at least you want a better world and you realize things are fucked up, as opposed to going, let's just vote for rich people. It, you, all you think is about land. Fuck off. Anyway, uh, this documentary is, at the very least, it's interesting if you don't already know this stuff. And I did. I already knew all this stuff. Right, right. But, and I, it's not a terrible introduction to someone to like go... I am demanding that it's, this it, is the and thing it's a thing you short watch. watch. Like if somebody like you in your life goes, thinks socialism is something it's not, and they're part of your family and someone who like, you feel like you can kind of put your foot down a little bit on something and go like, I demand you watch this and watch it with me. And then we can talk about it afterwards and we can look it all up and you can go like, oh, wow, that's real in the hopes that. Maybe even one more person realizes, wow, this is lies across the board, what they're telling us about what socialism is. I guess that's what this movie is for, is for, like, I guess, uh, my generation and your generation who are ancient, um, <laughs> to tell their, to show their family members or other people to like, hey, let me show you the way. And here's a good way to get into it because it's easy. Well, speaking of greed, we'll move into our next movie, <laughs> Vera Cruz, a 1954 American Western. Oh, Lord. That was a deeply influential uh, Western on a number of people, including the films of uh, Sergio Leone. Like one would argue, one has argued that the entire spaghetti Western, like, it's not a genre, but like, you know, yeah. the Italian darker spaghetti westerns evolved out of Veracruz. Really? This was the, like, the, the beginning of all of that? Well, I mean, some have argued. It was directed by Robert Aldrich, who, you know, great director in and of himself, who did Kiss Me Deadly. The Dirty Dozen. Whatever, whatever happened to Baby Jane and Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and The Big Knife. Lots of films. But, uh, this was really dark western. Oh, and also, the movie Three Amigos, you know, that movie with Chevy Chase and Martin Short and Steve Martin. I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know Three Amigos? I sir? know. What okay, you're about. was a parody of this film. Yeah, it was a spoof of this movie. Oh my god, that makes sense. That yeah. just came together for me. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, Gary Cooper <laughs> uh, during the Franco-Mexican War. Uh, he's an ex-Confederate soldier. He goes to Mexico looking for a job for a mercenary. He falls in with Burt Lancaster, who's a gunslinger, who's uh, obviously right from the beginning, sort of like a roughshod piece of shit. But uh, he's got his own gang, Ernest Bordenine, Jack Elam, Charles Bronson, Archie Savage. I mean, like, literally like a who's who of, like, yeah. people who played second cutthroat characters in wrestling. But this, this, this is so early on in their careers that they yeah. were just, like... You know, no big deal people. And I was yeah. like, fucking Ernest Borgnine. Uh, they're recruited by uh, Cesar Romero. Uh, Cesar Romero. Yeah. A very young Cesar Romero. Very young Cesar Romero for service with uh, the Emperor of Mexico, played by George McCready, who offers them $25,000 to escort a countess, played by Denise Darcel, to the city of Veracruz. Uh, after a bit of negotiating, they agree. Uh, and, of course, these guys are kind of... It's about like how big of a scumbag are you? It's kind of like because even yeah. Gary Cooper's kind of a scumbag. Is like what is he for? Is he to some degree? He's like no, nah, I'm just here for myself. He's like a but, better scumbag. But then he's got to like put himself versus these guys who are much worse scumbags than him. But he also is genuinely kind of friends with Burt Lancaster, who's the lead of the other decidedly scum lesser scumbags. And I think that 
everything is from the beginning, like because the roles are so extremely played. Lancaster from the beginning is playing this as like, there's no way you can trust this guy. He's irredeemable. And Lang, uh, and, uh, uh, Cooper, Cooper from the beginning, who always plays this type of role is like, I'm morally questionable, but I'm going to make the right choice. I mean, you know where this is going as a Western. Right, fan, right. right. But it played out well, and I love the, the the way that their relationship is never really close, but there's a but close mutual enough. respect. Yeah, it's so weird. They're both, I think it's a mutual respect based on you're a badass, I'm a badass, and maybe it's a little bit scared of each other respect. Like, I don't want to fuck with this guy because I don't know if I could survive in a confrontation. Yeah, it's that. like if we have to duel off with one another, one of us is going to die. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure it would be me. And I don't not. know who it's going to be. It's got to be you or me, and but like I'm not 100% sure. It, like, it is, uh, it's it's scary. And for Grey Westerns, 1953 is very early for Grey Westerns. This is an early movie. You know, this is like way before a lot of the, the Grey nuanced, like, oh, not just this is a good guy, this is the bad guy Westerns. This is was different. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised, uh... Oh, uh, I was quite surprised with how early this movie was done, and for 1954, god damn, 53, and 53, 53. Well, it says on 54 as on the box. Uh, <laughs> well, they're wrong. I don't know. Maybe Kino, know. get to get get together, guys. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. It's Kino. Oh, it is Kino. And yeah, um, it is Kino. But like Bert, solid with a slipcase and everything. Yeah, but Burt Lancaster, god damn, he is. Uh, like I've seen him a lot of things before, and uh, it's a fun villainous role for him. He 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 is all teeth in this movie. Yeah, his his smile is ridiculous uh, that he has, and he is so untrustworthy the entire time. But like, it's so interesting the care the the relationship that he has with Gary Cooper. Yeah, because they they do have these moments where like, yeah, well, I mean, gosh, I. I thought I was going to kill you, but now I can't. And like, they just really talk about these things. It is, it's so weird. It, it's, it feels so 2020. It does. And it's so ahead of its time. It's really I, interesting. And I can't there's a lot of films that, you know, as Westerns went on to being almost entirely gray Westerns instead of just black hat, white hat, that this was more normal. And there's something about this that feels even really different from those. Mm-hmm. There's a real sort of like, it's kind of startling that that like when it when it's morally ambiguous, it's not as it doesn't ease into it. It's just kind of like, oh, this is kind of shocking that it's morally ambiguous that you even feel now. I mean, I don't think that like outside of that when it gets to the last act, which has a pretty impressive big battle, everybody shooting everybody soon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, this is a little slow moving. Outside of the relationship between Burt Lancaster and Gary Cooper, which yeah. I, I, I think always sparkles when they're on screen together. But, I mean, it's 1953, not 1963. So, you know, like, you've got to look at this as, like, this is the one that started, pretty much started all of that. That's crazy. I did not know this was, like, the uh, the beginning of all, a lot of those things. And it was and a huge hit. Oh, guess where it was the biggest hit? Italy. France. Of course. Oh. France loves the dark gray morally. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Exactly. I mean, the. There was supposed to be a sequel called There Never Really Was a Gold Mine, but it never got made. Huh. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I liked it enough. I, I thought it was, I, I did feel it was kind of slow moving. Um, cause it's only about like what, 
It's only 94 minutes. Yeah, it's not super long. It feels almost two hours. It's one of those films that if you consider yourself at all fan of the classic spaghetti westerns, of the classic, like the the films that I normally consider in my head, like kind of start with High Noon of like the morally ambiguous westerns. Like this is the one that predates all of that and goes like, oh, this is really the one that kind of set the tone for things to go there. And it's really genuinely good. And this is a solid package they put together with audio commentary from director, writer, Alex Cox, who, you know, for me, like the guy who made Repo Man, one of my favorite movies of all time, but lately has his career has been entirely just doing audio commentaries and intros for films that he loves for other companies. I don't that's know why. It's not a bad gig. But that's been his thing. Trailers from Hell with John Landis. Uh, and then a bunch of other trailers for, for like other things. But still, that's cool that Cox, Cox comes in, who's kind of a Western expert in some ways. Like he's kind of like the guy reconsiders a lot of stuff. I mean, he had a, I, a lot of his films people consider to be Westerns, even like if they're Walker. Not. I mean, even Repo Man is considered to be kind of a Western by the, by the tone of it. You know, huh. I mean, it's a punk rock movie, but there's a lot about it that resembles a yeah. Western. But yeah, Walker and, um, uh, the espresso western. I'm blanking on the name of it that he did. Uh, with the with the a uh, lot of the the clash was in it and stuff. I'm blanking on the name. Oh of it. God. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Sydney and Nancy. No, Sydney and Nancy. Really, Na- Nancy. <laughs> Sydney and Nancy. Uh, Sid and Sid and Nancy. No, not that. No, <laughs> not Sid and Nancy. That's just a straight up biopic of of Sid and Nancy. But uh, uh, no, <laughs> wow. your brain just melted. My brain did kind of melt. <laughs> Wait, what did you just say? What did you? Why did you? Why do what? No, um, uh, he did a movie called Straight to Hell that had the first film appearance of court uh, of Courtney Love, amongst other people. Um, oh yeah, you know, Dennis Hopper, Grace Jones, Elvis Costello, uh, Jim Jarmusch, people like that were in it. You know, like uh, it was a it was a western. If instead of booze, everybody was really addicted to coffee. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Take it for what it. It sounds like a more Jim Jarmusch movie then. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, like well, Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're gonna talk about our last movie. Or I should say movies, which is the Middle Earth 31 disc ultimate collector's edition on 4K and Blu-ray. Sound of thunder. I never heard of these. What is this? Yeah. What is Lord of the Rings? What is that a thing? Is that a... Was this... Is that like some Vegas thing? Is that the Blue Man Group? What is that? Yeah, I I thought... I mean, you told me about what this was, and I was like... I. Think I've heard of them. All right, everybody. Let's uh, you know. All joking aside, everybody. I'm gonna joke a few moments. Okay. So, Lord of the Rings. No one's heard this before. All joking aside, this was a big deal. They've been talking about it for three years. Of them finally putting out a collection that this is the first time they've ever put out one collection that has Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit in one collection, which obviously is not as highly. Oh, this is the first collection for it. Only all of it together. First collection where they put all of them in one set. They've never done that before. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so everybody's like, okay. Also, both of these have been previously released in 4K. Yeah. But you're like, okay, but you're making a super set. So what is going to make this a super set? And for this. We're going to have to go into the history of the re-releases of Lord of the Rings, oh, God. which is basically a history of the re-releases of the White Album by the Beatles. You're like, oh, my God, every chance they get, they just re-release it with, like, one extra fucking thing. All right. So, in 2002, 2003, and 2004, New Line released The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King on DVD in theatrical form with a few unique features. 
couple months later, in 2002, 2003, and 2004, they followed the films in their special extended editions, which I was very proud to own. And that really nice keepsake things, which, uh, and this is DVD, mind you, which had an incredible, like one of the best behind the scenes features things of any set for any movie ever made. Like there was, like, I think it was like 30 hours of behind the scenes shit. Oh, it was, it was great. just insane. Audio commentaries, um, uh, galleries that were ex- collectively known as the appendices. I mean, they were, the appendices were a big deal because they were so well produced. Then in 2006, three new limited edition DVD sets came out, which included all three films in both their theatrical and extended versions, along with a trio of new behind the scenes documentaries that were really great produced by Costa Boats. All right. So. That was just that. But when Blu-ray came out, <laughs> they came out again, all right, in high definition with the Motion Picture Trilogy box set. Finally, the Mo- Lord of the Rings, the Motion Trilogy Extended Edition box set followed on Blu-ray a year later, complete with both the appendices and the Costa Botas com- com- uh, content. So, The Hobbit came out. Followed almost exactly the similar path. I'm not going to go into all the dates here, but it kind of went through the same oh, similar God. path of re-releasing there. Now... This is as long as The Hobbit now. That's <laughs> too Josh. long. Hey. Yeah, I mean, fans care because they're like, what's the best version to get of these? And I'm one of those fans. I'm like, so is this worth my money? Because this is not a cheap set uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, so yeah. is this worth this? And there was a great deal of disappointment in 2016 when Warner Brothers released their Middle Earth six film limited collector's edition box set, uh, which was on, the, which they also just released this in 2016. Was, no, no, no. The, this is a previous thing. With six films, this is the first time it's come out in 4K. Oh, okay, so this is a 4K. Sorry, I said it wrong before. Uh, But it was called That Damn Bookshelf by fans. That was their derogatory term for $400. I know, which is insane, right? Which had all the previous Blu-ray content without the 3D versions of the Hobbit movies, because the 3D 3D versions were initially released on separate issues with that. For And who's got 3D setups anymore? Also 3Ds. Bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you there. But, um, so anyway, uh, like even Jackson talks shit about this one. Flash forward to here. 4K Ultra HD is finally becoming like a default setup for things. Uh, Peter Jackson over years super- supervised this restoration of Lord of the Rings films in 4K along with The Hobbit, which originally had been completed in 4K and only knew- needed to be slightly regraded for HDR. Uh, so, this came out uh, in a pair of separate box sets that came out last year at Christmas, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings separately, right? All right. So uh, n- no Blu-rays was included with those. It was just the 4K editions. However, it did create uh, have the theatrical and extended version of the films. All right. So people were like, fine, when are you going to put out the ultimate edition? And they've been talking about it for a while, going like, oh, sometime this year, the Middle Earth Ultimate Collector's Edition. And all right, so it is all six films. You get both the 4K and the Blu-ray versions of here. The Blu-rays are also newly remastered from the 4K presentation. So they're better than any previous 4K version of uh, or Blu-ray version that has existed here. However, all the appendices are gone. All the bonus, almost all the bonus features. There's a few here and there bonus features, but the ones that they like were famous for being like, wow, exhaustive, incredibly made. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those Costa B- Botes, uh, documentaries that were made in the second edition were like, are totally gone. They added one new disc 
of things which are just from 2020 when the Alamo Draft House presented a series of like we're watching a, like a marathon of all three extended cuts and we've got for each one like you know for each movie between each movie they were like okay the first one here's all the hobbit actors and we're talking for like 40 minutes with Stephen Colbert interviewing them and the second movie is like okay here's all the elves and then Aragorn and the third movie is uh, here's Peter Jackson Andy Serkis you know yeah so how many discs is this and uh, Ian McCallan uh 31 I believe 30 one. Yeah, because you gotta remember, that's like- This is more CDs both, than a Moody Blues album. That's both Blu-ray and 4K, and the 4K editions of the extended editions are, are both, are always divided up into two discs, cause it, like, you know, it's too much for, I believe the Blu-ray ones are too. Yeah. So it's like, it, it's a lot, but even with that, there's just that, and the only other special edition that's new, is the film that was put at Cannes Film Festival before the year before this came out of like a selling, like this is coming. We're mostly done with it. That I guess people are like, there's a moment or two that it's a different, slightly different shot than was used in the movie. I mean, it's like 28 minutes or something of like, this is just a, here's a fellowship of the ring, like prequel, not prequel, but like of shots from it and sequences from it. And you're like, Oh, every once in a while, there's a scene. That's not this exact version they used. I'm like, really? People were looking forward to that. Okay. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was very disappointed. Now there are some cool physical things about this. Like the set has this cool thing where it folds into multiple different configurations. Like you can store it in a multiple different ways. It's like a puzzle box. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of fun. Oh, it's like the limited configuration. I kind of love that kind of shit. Well, I haven't opened up a hell door yet. I've been trying for my whole I've been doing it, you know, every other year. I just, I open it up. I I talked to Pinhead and I was like, Hey, what's up? And I was like, I have this new uh, box set of the Lord of the Rings. Like, Oh, give me that in 2021. I don't need it right now. Like the, and I guess it's here. There's uh some physical like, like they're like almost God. What do you call them? Uh, things you put your drink on. Uh, coasters. Coasters. Oh, uh, that are just like here's an image from the movie. I'm like that are just on that type of cardboard. And I'm like, what? I don't. What? Like there's a lot of like, and those come in like this little. How much is this motherfucker in retail? Oh, I, I don't know. A lot. Like a couple hundred dollars. Oh yeah. wow. And I just went. How do you have the balls to put this thing out with that already exists on 4K? Both of these exist on 4K and go, but now here's less. <laughs> the balls? Well, I don't know if you were just talking about this movie that we just saw called the big uh, scary S word, but this is a big <laughs> C word. It's uh, they're being um, big cunts. I mean, uh, they're capitalists. They're capitalists. I mean, there's. There is a 64-page softcover book called The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, a collection of costume sketches, photography, and production notes. It's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I like that part of it. It's all also digital codes. Come yeah, with it. yeah. I mean, like, if you don't own this in any version and you're also and, – but and you have a great technical setup, but you're also not like, I'm never going to be rewatching all the bonus features. Sure, this is the best version. No question. Yeah, this yeah. almost seems like a, a skimmed version of like what if you were not going to watch like everything and ev- everything about this whole goddamn series. Uh, exactly. But so, as as a, a person who wants it all, if it's called the ultimate edition, 
Why this would is, you leave out one bits. of the most amazing things they ever did in association with the series? Yeah. Then it seems clear that everything I see about this is that Peter Jackson is not involved at all with doing these editions. This oh, is oh, just really? the parent company. Like they don't even like he was hired to come in and remaster the 4Ks in the previous edition, like be involved with that. Like he was paid for that. But in terms of assembling the set and what's included, they didn't even talk to him. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Because at that point, like, what else do you want to... What else... He's like, he did this back... It, the, Return of the King was 2003. Yeah. Like, that was a long time ago. Was that 2003? 2003. And the first one was 2001. And you were 182 at that time. Okay, I may have lied to you. What? No. No. I was originally known as Ramses II. I knew it! I'm sorry. I knew you were older, and I've, you said that you were like, hey, I'm, I'm young. I'm a little I'm like 198. I was a little embarrassed. Oh. I mean, plus it was the Middle Kingdom, and everybody talks shit about the Middle Kingdom. You know, so, you know. Next time you tell me things, that you're trying to be like, you know, honest and shit like that, and you just bring out this whole Ramsey shit. I'm sorry. Like you I, know everything because you've been around for thousands of years. Well, I mean, technically I it was you, thousands of years. So, I know. I thought yeah. you were around for like hundreds of years, and I was like, "Well, this guy doesn't know everything." Yeah, I don't know anything about the city of Ur. <laughs> we won't talk about that. That wasn't me. That was another guy. I'm told he looked like me. That was this other guy yeah. that was dumb. Yeah, I mean, people used to jokingly call me Gilgamesh, but I was definitely not Gilgamesh. <laughs> <laughs> this joke is so stupid. <laughs> you know what? We're going to finish this. This is a long episode. I'm sorry, folks. We had a lot Are you here. sorry? I'm not sorry. But what is the fun? What, what is the best here? Cause I think that like I'm stuck between either Onibaba or Demons Demons 2 is the best. Oh, the sheesh. The, I would say the best is. I mean, cause Demons Demons 2, that physical content is fucking great. Yeah. I mean, that is probably like out of all of this. I mean, it's like, it's like Demons Demons 2. Onibaba and Veracruz, I think, are the probably the best out of these three, or out of this whole thing. If you agree Demons, Demons 2 is up for vote, then I say Demons, Demons 2. Yeah. Because that oh, poster... Oh, Lord of the Rings, I guess. I mean, I mean, sure. Lord of the Rings would be... I love it. I'll watch also, it a like, It's already one best picture, so what do they have to prove? Yeah. And, I was like, uh, like, I, I'm not... Shit. The, what's annoying is that I was looking forward to being able to give us a present, my really pristine Blu-ray box set that I had for this before, and uh -huh. now I can't, because that has the appendices. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't get rid of it, because I... Well, you can give me that. Can you give me that? I'm, no, no, I cannot. <sighs> I'd probably give you the Hobbit 4Ks if you want. I don't want the Hobbit. Who wants the Hobbit? That's fair. <laughs>